0: Well, like we mentioned, we are kicking off our Easter series today. So, the way it's going to go is we're going to look at two Psalms, one this week and one next week, preparing us to reflect on, to think about, to understand the death and resurrection of Jesus that we will celebrate in a couple of weeks. Um, And as we read through them, um, for us, it's going to be pretty obvious that these Psalms point forward. Um, reminding us about the cross and pointing to the cross. But I think these also remind us that the cross isn't something that just happened, right? God got in a bind. He was like, oh, I was promised I would save my people, and I didn't really do it yet, so I think we'll just send Jesus, right? And that'll be the answer, and he kind of made it up on the fly. But that these psalms that we are reading were written a thousand years before Jesus shows up on the scene by David. And so a thousand years before, these were being prepared for the moment when Jesus would come. But I also want us to think about how we interpret a psalm like this, because when this psalm was written by David, as we'll see in a minute, it's a psalm about suffering. Um, David describes what he felt and how he dealt with suffering in a pretty extreme manner. Um, And some psalms that we read, when we read them, um, we, of course, know that they point to Jesus, but some of them, even when they, people read them in the time they were written, said, oh, this points to something greater, something bigger. Um, this is not one of those. This is not one that is obviously pointing to someone who is going to come later. Um, it, at its core, this is a psalm about suffering. But as we read it now, Um, It will seem obvious that this connects to Jesus, and for us, the first verse is going to give it away immediately when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or abandoned me? Right? For us who are Christians now, when we hear that phrase, we immediately think of the cross. We immediately think of Jesus uttering those words at the end. What we're going to do is, we're going to go through this one time for how it was originally written. Right? To understand how we can persevere in suffering and look for rescue of how God rescues us in the midst of that. But as we go, I also want you to listen for the connections to Jesus, and then we'll connect those dots at the end to see how we see Jesus in this psalm. So we're going to read this together. It's Psalm 22. Um, it's page uh, 482 in your pew Bible that's in front of you, or if you want to turn there. Um, the next psalm gets a lot of attention, right? 23 does. This one is just as important but doesn't get quite the publicity that Psalm 23 does. Um, it's also 31 verses, so it's a little harder to memorize than Psalm 23 as well. But let's read it together. I'm gonna, I know it's long, but we're going to read the whole thing. It says, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer; by night, yet I have no rest." But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure in my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong wolves of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like the baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. And so this is Psalm 22. And as we work our way through this psalm, what we're going to see at the beginning is we're going to see three cycles, right? Um, You see this in your notes where it has three sets of verses below the first point. Those are the three cycles that we are going to look at. And so we get a cycle of David crying out, right? And then a confession of beliefs. He'll cry out because of his suffering and then he'll remind himself of the truth about God. And sometimes I think we think that these two things can't go together. I can't cry out to God and wonder where he is and wonder what's going on and why he isn't listening to me and believe that he can rescue me at the same time. But we see that in David and I think what is happening is there's a clash between what David is feeling And what David believes to be true. And so we're going to see David navigate that of, I feel this, but I know the truth is this. And so it looks like almost two different people, right, when he's talking in this. And so as we see those cycles, you're going to see that. And so what I want us to take away from that is, it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to be honest with God about what you're feeling. But our feelings are not what guide us. The truth trumps our feelings. Feelings can lead us astray, but the truth brings us back on track. And so as we go through these cycles, they'll all be a little bit different. Listen for how David bounces back and forth from feeling to faith and how he balances those together. And this morning, as we come to this, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not really suffering. My life is going pretty great right now, so. This really doesn't apply to me. Um, And I heard a pastor once say that when he thought about preparing sermons and how he talks about suffering, he said, either the people you're talking to are suffering They just finished suffering or they're about to enter a period of suffering. And so this applies to you. And even if you think, oh, things have been going great for a long time, then you can use this to understand how you can talk to and help someone who is suffering. Because I'm pretty sure no one here either isn't suffering or doesn't know anybody who is, right? Because our world is broken. And so this is good for any of us. And so we're going to go through these three cycles of conflicting feelings and beliefs, and our first one is verses one through five, right? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from me? I cry out, but you don't answer at night and you have no rest. And this, whole, this, end, this, this is how David feels. He feels abandoned, right? He feels abandoned by God. And as we read through, we heard a lot of different ways that David is suffering, right? But this one I think is the worst, Right? It's hard to be tired. It's hard to be hungry. It's hard to be in pain. But none of those actually compare to the feeling of being abandoned by God. For him to say, oh, he's not with me anymore. He's not even listening to me. Right? He says, right, I cry out at night. I pray all night. He doesn't listen. I pray during the day. He still doesn't respond. Where is God? He's forgotten me. I'm left out. That's a different level of suffering than just physical suffering, especially for us as believers to think that God has abandoned us. It's different. And I wonder if we have ever felt like that, or if you are feeling like that, like God has abandoned you, that he isn't hearing your prayers, like he's forgotten about you. You pray and you try to trust him, but nothing changes. You feel stuck. You feel left out. You feel far from God. And when we feel like that, we can do the same thing that David does next. Right? David reminds himself of what he knows and believes to be true about God. He knows that God listens, that God responds, and that God rescues. Right? You are holy. You are enthroned. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried and they were set free. So David remembers even in that moment when he feels abandoned, that God is holy, he is righteous, he is good, he is above reproach. He is lovingly guiding us through with his holiness. And as he looked back at redemptive history of the way that God has worked throughout the history of the world to create a redeemed people, he sees and he remembers how God has acted. Specifically here he remembers the Israelites. And how they were enslaved in Egypt and they cried out and God answered and he responded and he set them free and he rescued them and he delivered them. And he says, they weren't put to shame because they cried out and nothing happened, but they trusted God would respond and he did. Their faith in God was rewarded and proved that God is worthy of our trust and that he can rescue us. And as he remembered, he was encouraged because he knows that God responds and God rescues. And so for us, as we look back either in Scripture or in our own lives, when we're feeling abandoned, when we're feeling left out, we can see and remember the times that God has worked in our lives, that he has shown up. And we can trust and believe that he will do that again even though we feel like we're abandoned, that's not the truth. The truth is that God is there and he will rescue us. He will listen to our prayers. He will respond. It may not be as fast as we want him to, but he will respond to us. So then we get to the next cycle in verses six through 10. He says, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and everybody around me is mocking me. They're making fun of me. So how David feels is I must not be human and all the mockers must be right. That's how he's feeling because remember he just remembered oh God rescued the Israelites and he heard their prayers and he responded to them and he rescued them. So I know that God rescued others but he's not rescuing me. So I must not be important. I must be a worm that God doesn't care about because I know he rescues, but he's not doing it for me. Right? He must be something less because God isn't responsive, responding. He feels worthless. He feels not important. He feels left out. He sees other people hearing from God. He sees other people getting answers to their prayers, but he isn't. And sometimes I think we feel the same way, right? I'm unimportant. I can't catch a break. I'm left out or I'm left behind. I must not be as good as or important as or as faithful as these other people because they're getting answers to their prayers. And not only did he feel like that himself, other people were jumping on top of that, right? David, even though he might be trying to hold steady and believe that God is with him, it doesn't feel like quite that to him, but other people who know him and know that he is trying to trust in God see that too, and they mock him. This is written with sarcasm. I've been saying a long time since we started text messaging, we should have like a sarcasm font um, so that everybody knows when you're texting or in an email or here that, hey, this is sarcasm. And so these verses right here are them making fun of him, Right? we know you trust in God. Well, then God will save you. Let God rescue him. It seems like that's working out really well for you right now, right? That's what they're saying. And so their thinking was, if David really trusted in the Lord, then why is he suffering? Because they couldn't understand a God who would let him suffer. So from their perspective, either David was just saying that he trusted in God and he really didn't, his faith wasn't strong enough, or God doesn't love him. That's why he doesn't respond to him. Right, so people are piling on top of David with this thinking. And so David, in his response to that, we get the second half. David reminds himself of what he knows and believes about God. And that is that God has been with him from the beginning. Right, it was God who brought him out of the womb, who has been there from the beginning. From David's birth, God has been with him and cared for him. God had sustained him and walked with him for his entire life. David had learned to trust in God all along from the beginning. When he was at home, when he was out with the sheep, when he was fighting Goliath, when he was on the run from Saul, when he was the king, he learned to trust in God. God has walked with him for all of those times and proved that he could be trusted. No matter how he felt, he knew and believed that God was with him, that God had created him, that God loved him. And for us, we need to remember the same thing, that God has been with us from the beginning, right? We know the Bible tells us that he knit you together in the womb, Before anybody knew who you were or who you were going to be or your personality or what you would look like or what you would do or what you would experience, he put you together. He shaped you as you were born, as you grew up. He gave you family and friends to walk with you, to encourage you, to teach you about who God is. He grew you into the person that you are today. He sustained you And I can say he sustained you because all of us are here this morning. We have been sustained in that we can come to church or watch online this morning. And he is still working in you. So we can't think that we're unimportant or that we don't matter or that God isn't listening because we can look back and see how God has gotten us to this point. How he has shaped us and molded us and created us And he loves us as his creatures. We need to remember that as we go through. Then we get to the third cycle. This one's a little longer in verses 11 through 20. Um, I'm not going to read all of those verses again. But this is what David feels. He feels like he's surrounded by his enemies and he's wasting away. Right, And David uses a lot of Im- imagery here, especially in this section. He's surrounded by bulls and lions. The place that he references was known for having lots of grass, and so all of their cattle were super healthy. That's why he said, references the bulls from that place and lions. And then dogs surround him, and they're nipping at his hands and his feet. He is afraid, and he feels powerless. He can't protect himself. He can barely get up. And so we see him poured out like water on the ground, so they couldn't gather himself to resist or fight back those who were trying to attack him. We see his bones disjointed so that he felt pain and he's incapable of defending himself. His heart is melting like wax so that he has, he can't um, deal with anything in his spirit. His spirit is just melting away. He's dried up like broken pottery so that he has no energy, that he has no strength. He's dying of thirst and starvation, right? He concluded he was almost in the grave. He was almost dead because the Lord had not helped him. And he actually calls God out. It's sort of hidden in here. But if you look at verse 15, what does it say? It says, you put me into the dust of death you, and when he says you, he's talking to God, you put me here. You did this to me because you have not answered my prayer. This was you. You have put me in this place, right? That's what he's feeling. But even in that, even though he's feeling this, he still cries out to God and says, come and save me. Come and rescue me. In 19 and 20, But Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly and help me. Rescue my life from the sword. My only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of oxen. So even in this state, even when he's wasting away, even when he's on death's door, he still cries out for God to rescue him. Deep down, he still believes that God can and will rescue him. His feelings are causing him to doubt that. But his faith tells him to keep calling out. God will rescue. God will respond. And if you're reading along or looking at it, they sort of set this apart, but not as much as I would have liked. This is basically an interruption in the middle of a sentence, like, like David is writing this, and all of a sudden in the middle of that, he goes, but you answered me. He just kind of blurts it out. It's hard for us to see that when it's written, but it's like he's in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of typing something or in the middle of talking, and it's just like, oh, I received the answer. I got the phone call. I got the text message. I got the email. I got the response. I feel better. It's like in an instant, everything changes. Right? He answered. He stops in that moment, and he tells everybody, God responded. God listened. He answered me. And from this point forward, as you were listening, the tone of this psalm changes completely. It's completely different after this point than it was before. His strength is renewed, his faith is renewed, and he shifts to telling everybody else about it. Right? We get an extended section of praise that God is king. So as we see in the end, what David is essentially doing is he is praising the king. And we see all of these things, proclaiming his name, and as we go through, we see lots of stuff. And so this actually, this part of the psalm is the part I think we aren't very good at, or at least I'm not very good at it. Because when we get the answer for our prayer, when we've been suffering, when we've been trying to figure out what to do next, and God answers us, and we get the answer, we just kind of say, okay... It's better. And then we move on and we just do what the next thing is, or at least that's what I do. And I'm assuming other people will do that too. We're excited in the moment we feel unstuck or we feel rescued or we feel comfort and then we move on. But more often we need to pause just like David does here. And we need to praise God for what he has done And not just for a minute or two of, oh, I'll take a minute and I'll pray and I'll thank God for what he's done, but consistently over time, right? To do that over and over again, to remind ourselves that God has rescued us, to tell other people. And David reminds us this, that that God's answer to prayer for you isn't just for you. It's for all of us to know and to thank God, but also to tell others so that they can praise God as well. And we see this as he progresses, right? He starts out at the beginning, I will praise. I will tell my brothers and sisters, I will praise in the assembly. Basically, that's when they gather together. Basically, hey, when we have the next church service, I am going to praise God because he has answered me. And so he starts with, I will praise. But then he goes to, all of us will praise. We will praise him. All who believe and trust in him will praise him. He listened, he responded, he rescued And as if all of us wasn't enough, he takes it one step forward, right? All the nations will praise him. Not just me, not just my church. All the nations will praise God because what he has done for me, right? And I I think and hope that this might be a glimpse of heaven. That we just all stand around and we just say, this is what God has done for me. We just praise him and thank him for that. And, you know, we've got all eternity to do that so everybody can get a turn and we can just hear what God has done for us. But all the nations will praise. But what we see in these verses is a reversal of what we saw at the beginning. Right? The mocking of the people around him is turned into a people around him who are praising God, who are thanking him for being the people of God the feeling of abandonment by God is turned into generations who will serve and walk with the Lord. The hunger and wasting away is turned into people who will eat and be satisfied. An individual suffering alone is turned into a congregation of all of the families of earth praising God. It begins with remembering that God rescued and delivered Israel, and it get, ends with God's rule and reign over generations to come. What David wants us to remember is the king will rule. The good king will rule. The good king who rescues his people will rule forever. And his people will tell of his greatness for generations to come. We can endure suffering because God listens, he responds, and he rescues us, and he will rule on his throne forever. This is the truth that David comes away with, even though he suffered, even though it was painful, even though he felt abandoned. He knows and believes that God rescues and he will reign forever. And that's what we need to remember. That's the truth that grounds us in our faith, no matter what comes, no matter what we experience, no matter how many times we go to the hospital or we can't pay our bills or we can't quite get over the hump or we feel like we've been left out or left behind, God is with us. He is ruling and reigning and he will show up. So that's what David is telling us. But now I want us to kind of turn the corner Right? Because all of that is good and it's helpful for us, but what we see in this psalm is actually another level as we look back. So we're going to look back to see how we see Jesus in this, how this connects us to the season of Easter. So we're going to look forward and backwards at the same time, um, which sounds weird, but it, it'll, make, it'll make sense once we start doing it. So we're going to look at the greatest rescue that set up the rule of the greatest king that came about in a different way than anyone expected. And so I want you to, with Psalm 22 kind of ringing in your ears and the verses and the phrases that we've heard of David crying out, I want you to listen to this, to Mark 15 and his description of the crucifixion. I don't want you to turn there, I just want you to listen and and remember what you've just heard in Psalm 22. It says this, and then they crucified him. And they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge written against him was, The King of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. "'Save yourself by coming down from the cross.' "'In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes "'were mocking him among themselves and saying, "'He saved others, but he cannot save himself. "'Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, "'come down now from the cross "'so that we may see and believe. "'Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. "'And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land "'until three in the afternoon.'" And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And as we read Psalm 22 and we hear this account, it's obvious that this is pointing forward to Jesus and how he would suffer and go through some of the exact same things that David experienced. Because in the psalm, we saw them casting lots for his clothes. We saw them surrounding him, David, and mocking him almost with the same exact words that we see here in the gospels. And of course, the call of Jesus, why have you abandoned me? But the message of the psalm and the message of the cross are the same message. No matter how you feel, no matter what's happening, Jesus came to rescue you. Some people noted that in the psalm, there's no confession of sin. Right? They said, hey, maybe you've messed up. Maybe God isn't listening to you. And usually we say, oh, it's because I've done something wrong. In other psalms, David does confess, and he's quick to say, I've wronged you or I've done it. But in this one, he doesn't. There's no confession in Psalm 22 saying this is pointing to Jesus because Jesus needs no confession because he had no sin. He was perfect and he went to the cross to die for us, to rescue us. And that's the first thing he rescues us from, right? Not just our everyday things, but the first thing Jesus rescues us from is sin. Is the brokenness in our hearts that we've turned away from him. And in his perfect life, he sacrifices himself. He experiences all of this, the mocking, the abandonment, the pierced hands and feet. He goes through all of that for us so that we can have life, so that we can be rescued from death and redeemed. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he continues to work in our lives and to rescue us and to redeem us. And he redeems us and rescues us from the effects of sin in the world and in your life, of the brokenness that's around us, the, the, the want of us to do something else or to turn away from him or to do our own thing or to not listen to him and say, I know better. He continually renews us and redeems us and rescues us even from ourselves as we live. And so we just need to remember that God rescues He has rescued. He is rescuing. He will rescue for all eternity. He will save us. We can trust in him. And ultimately, he will be crowned king. Not that he's not in charge right now. It'll just be a lot more obvious when he returns and shows up and he comes in power. And we will see, just as David says, all the nations. All the people will praise His name and they will bow to Him because He is the only one who can rescue us. He is the only one who we can trust in. No matter the circumstances, He is with us, the King. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the, for the depth of Scripture. That we can read a a psalm that talks about suffering, but even that, kind of how it goes back and forth, reminds us to be grounded in the truth of your word, and how your word reminds us and points forward to the greatest rescue that you would ever send. God, that you, you love us so much that you sent your son for us. God, that you rescued us so that we could praise you, not just for ourselves on our own or in our minds and our prayers, but among your people. God, that Jesus is the reason why sin is broken. God, Jesus is the reason why we move from darkness to light. Jesus is the reason we are forgiven how we can stand, how we can love, how we can move forward, how we can have life. God, and help us to remember that you are the king. You are ruling and reigning, and you will rule and reign forever so that we can trust in you, no matter the circumstances, no matter how we feel. You are with us, and you are reigning. So help us to remember to praise you as the king the loving, gracious, kind King who will rule forever. It's in your name I pray, amen.